I'm Steph and you're a fellow Steph. Hello. Steph's Unite. <laughs> How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm going good. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Have you done a lot of these podcast interviews and stuff before? I've done one. Oh, okay. Wonderful. So we're both pretty fresh to the whole experience. Yeah. Yeah, wonderful. So I thought we'd just start by uh, going through your brief history. I know that you came onto our scene in 2018 when you won the Young Achiever Regional and Rural Health Award for the Royal Doctors in 2018. So how did you find yourself being nominated in that category? I actually have no idea. Like um, to this day, I have no idea who nominated me. Oh, okay. Which, you know, kind of sucks. I wish I could thank them. <laughs> I'm sure like you, that you've thanked them enough with your hard work and your contributions and everything else that you've achieved. It's, it's amazing. But it's not your only award. You've got quite the accolade going. Yeah, I also won the 2015 City of Ballarat Youth Award. So. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so I don't know who nominated me for that one either. Oh my goodness. So you've just got some guardian angels out there. So how how did it feel when you were not only nominated but actually to take the the prizes for that those awards? Uh, with the Ballarat one, I was so close to actually walking out of the cinema, um, which is where the ceremony was being held because my category had, you know, gone and been done and I had just moved into someone's caravan so I'd been like you know setting up right before like going to the ceremony so I was like oh I didn't win so you know as much as I want to respect the other nominees and their categories I might as well head back and continue unpacking and so my butt had left my seat and I started to walk away and then I hear my name and I'm like excuse me what (laughs) and I turn around and yeah it's like I won the major 18 to 25 category and I was like what and like I said it so loud that the people on stage could hear and they're like yeah it's you you can come on stage now and I'm like oh my god did you have a speech prepared were you expecting to win it no no I went in blind I went in totally blind um so thankfully at that ceremony they were like you know just say a quick thank you and I'm like okay so you just moved into a uh, a caravan is that right a caravan yeah, I was still technically homeless at that stage. Yeah. So it was, I sort of graduated from homeless, like sort of just bouncing from place to place to couch surfing. So in that situation, I hadn't, I didn't know the guy. Like I met him once for coffee just so I could gauge sort of my safety levels. But I was still volunteering at that stage. And so it was was my volunteer coordinator that was like, hey, I know a guy, he's got a caravan. And so, yeah, it was still sort of scary going into, you know, someone's front yard and not knowing who they are and, like, living there and everything. But it was, you know, a roof over my head. And so I remember feeling very self-conscious at the ceremony because I, you know, obviously didn't look very nice. Like I had, like, a handful of clothes to my name and my hair was a mess and I was just making the most of it, though. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, if uh, if that's your sort of living situation, the last thing you're thinking about is attending a uh, fancy awards night. It must have been a really sort of parallel universe feeling. 
Yeah, it was almost culture shock because it had been so long since I'd been in a stable enough place to feel even remotely normal, let alone fancy. So I, I felt very um, ugly duckling. But then by the end of the night, like I felt very special because I won. <laughs> That's amazing. And so did you find that this was like the beginning of some really amazing stuff coming your way or... In the moment, not so much. Like it felt very special, obviously, but I was like, okay, well, this is my big highlight moment. That's about it. It was like a really nice thing and it was exciting, but I didn't see it as a catalyst or anything. I was like, I'm still struggling, you know, and I didn't really see like that lightning up anytime in the near future. But it was really nice to have one night where something really good happened. And so I was like, well, at least if things get tough, I can look back on this one night for a while. But I, yeah, I honestly didn't think things were going to get much better from there in that time and moment. Were you able to sort of capture the feelings that you went through at those award nights and use them as a bit of momentum? Because like from what I've gathered, you've just accomplished so much in, in, in the time since. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I sort of used it as a distraction. So it's one of those things where even to this day, when people say that I've accomplished so much, like it doesn't register in my head because they were just stepping stones of, oh, you know, I got up in the morning and I'm just volunteering at this place or this place just to honestly just keep my mind focused on anything but my life and myself. Um, And so, yeah, it's like things would happen as a result, like awards or honourable mentions and things. And I'd just be like, oh, that's really cool. Um, but then I'd just, you know, go on to the next thing. And so I accumulated, I guess, like this, this repertoire of recognition. And even now it blows my mind when people read it back to me. I'm like, wow, I, I did those things. I think- it's kind of crazy. I, I just, I am so blown away by you weren't in a stable living environment and you were volunteering. So even though uh, materialistically you didn't have a lot to give and yet you still had so much to give and you helped out other people, is that what was driving you to volunteer? I think it was very, um, I like to refer to myself in those days as I was being selfishly selfless. Yeah, it was really nice just to, well, if I hadn't have volunteered, I honestly, at that stage, I wouldn't have had any reason at all to keep on going or to wake up in the morning. Um, and so, yeah, it was very much a coping mechanism of I need this, I need to be doing something because I had dropped out of uni and obviously I didn't have a job at that stage and living like my Centrelink was being cut off like every couple of days because I didn't have an address to you know put on the forms and things then a lot of the time I wasn't able to attend job seeking appointments and things because I didn't know like what town I would be in at the end of the day or anything like that and so it was very, very up and down but yeah there were some days where I'd still just you know check on um, my uniform because some of the volunteer gigs I did went as far as having uniforms and my boss I guess, coordinator, whatever, would be like, you know, we're doing this event on this day. And I'd be like, oh, you know, I don't drive, so, you know, I can't get there and everything. And so they'd pick me up and let me stay with them. None the wiser as to, you know, my situation. Um, I feel like there's a few people that if they had known, they would have helped me. I just didn't even stop to think to, yeah, ask. Wow. 
So being on my own at that point. You were in, I, I can't get around it. You're, you were in the midst of both worlds, you know, and, and I just, I, I wonder like what was your support network like? Like what were your friends like around then? Very limited. Like I had essentially cut off my family and my other friends all in all basically to hang on to this one friendship that I'd had for so long. We'd been friends since I was five and like we'd had our ups and downs, unfortunately a lot more downs than ups, but for some reason I was really latched onto this friendship. And in my mind I was like, well, she comes from a successful sort of family, like they seem to have their stuff together where, you know, my family life back then was a little bit turbulent and everything. So I really latched onto this idea of I can't be anything like them but then they gave me the opportunity to be a part of that family unit and so yeah I threw everything else away and put my everything into this situation and unfortunately that situation is what led to you know being homeless and everything but for the beginning her and I were sort of in it together and then yeah it was very much I guess being in such a dire situation it really opened my eyes to how toxic things have become Mm. And we eventually parted ways and she, of course, had her family to go back to. And at that stage, I had cut myself off from everything else. I'd put my 100% into this one relationship. Mm. Um, and so I still had the caravan and the volunteer connections. But as far as I was aware, I was by myself. And even when her and I had still been friends, I'd felt like I was by myself for a very long, long time. And so it became very difficult to reach out and ask for help for myself. It was very easy for me to ask for help for other people and to advocate for them. But I'd just gotten so accustomed to being by myself mentally and emotionally at that point, even when I was surrounded by people that I couldn't acknowledge that anyone could help me. So for a while I was stuck. Yeah, it, it sounds like this friendship sort of uh, eroded your communities and yeah, isolated you, uh, isolated you away from other opportunities as well. Yeah, like I think if we had been in a romantic relationship, it definitely would have been like domestic abuse, that just mentally like um, how they isolate you and like, set, you know, from your loved ones and your connections and they make it that they are your rock and you have nothing else. And mm -hmm. so when I let go of that rock, I found myself drowning. Yeah, I think it's it's really interesting, you know, you say if it was a romantic thing. I think people don't give enough credit to friendships. Like these, the relationships around you are the ones that form you. And like a friendship breakup can be just as bad, if not worse, as a as a romantic breakup. And especially when it leaves you in that in that circumstance as well. Yeah, and especially because it had been so long, like we had been friends since I was five years old. And so, you know, if it had been a romantic relationship, that's a hell of a long marriage to be. <laughs> um, yeah. so. And so I just wanted to ask, uh, you have written a couple of books. The first one, The Unexpected, that one's done very well. Is this kind of not uh, autobiographical, but is it kind of a reflection of what you've been through? Uh, a little bit, yeah. The Unexpected was very loosely based on myself and a couple of my friends and it revolves around one 
particular sort of situation that one of my friends had found themselves in. And ex-best friend who I just mentioned um, makes an anonymous appearance in there as a different character. And, yeah, it's the closest things thus far to, I guess, me telling my story besides, like, the podcasts and I'm also a blabbermouth, so I I do tell people, like, if they give me the opportunity, like, I was like, here's my life story (laughs) for a cup of coffee. I'm like, I'm so sorry. Yeah, I'm I'm a bit like that when you're at the grocery store and, you know, the checkout person says, how's your day? And you're like, oh, have I got a story for you? <laughs> like, I know you don't actually care, random person. It's just a polite thing to ask, but you are, so here it is. I love that you've aimed it at a young adult audience. Is that, was that a decision that you made, that young people need to be sort of aware of the lessons and, and the story that goes along in The Unexpected or...? Definitely. Like, I understand that some of the themes in it are quite mature. Um, and so sometimes I do think maybe I should have aimed it a little bit higher because it does touch on rape and almost like Stockholm syndrome type of dependency, which, you know, in the moment I didn't really like associate myself with. And it was like my friend's situation in the unexpected that that was based on. But now I can relate to both sides of the story myself but I think the main reason why I aimed it at young adults was because another coping mechanism of mine growing up with the family situation and then you know like even being homeless and stuff was I latched onto books and my preferred genre was young adult fiction and so I think I've just got that attachment to it now. Right. And so what was your process when it came to writing? Did you find you just had a natural knack for it? Obviously, a love of books can make it easier to to just have that vocabulary and, and way of writing. Yeah, like I was homeschooled after grade four. Um, and so it was very hard to sort of, I guess, expand my knowledge quite as much as I guess people that go to mainstream school do. And I'd always had a bit of a knack for writing regardless. And so it was very much like we focused in on that. It's like, okay, well, let's expand that skill set. But also I like that writing's an escape. So I used to, you know, write stories when I was stressed at home or anything like that. And I was recently diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. So dissociation is something I've always done um, without knowing why. And, um, yeah, daydreaming and plotting stories was just always my way of doing that. I can picture when the world around you is is just so unsafe and so unstable, the the strength that you must have had to create another place. You've just gone anywhere but here and yeah. not only have you used it to cope, but you've actually created like a wonderful piece of work that can go on to help other people. Like, did you ever have that intention that uh, this could go further, especially when you sold your first book? Again, not in the moment. Like, it was very much like, um, okay, I'm creating this thing for myself. And I always wanted to become an author. Like, that was my dream as a kid. And so it was always the game plan. But when I was writing back then, it was never like, oh, this is something I'm going to get published. It was just... This is like that I want to get off my chest or I want to escape into depending on 
you know, what I'm working on at the time. And then, yeah, when once I'd settled into a, at least a slight sense of normalcy, because things were still a bit crazy when I got The Unexpected published, like it wasn't 100% stable yet, um, but things were definitely getting a lot better. I'd gotten back in contact with my family and everything by that point. And so I sort of see the publishing of The Unexpected as almost a celebration of reconnecting with my family and friends and getting things back on track because it wasn't long after that that things started to fall in place. And so I guess that was almost my catalyst moment. Right, yeah. And so just the way you said get it off my chest, did that come from the sort of loneliness that you were feeling at that time? Like you just didn't feel like you had anyone else around and you thought to get it down was that way yeah exactly like writing in itself felt like I was talking to someone or you know like a diary you know it's like oh you know there's this imaginary reader in my head that's reading this book or whatever and then in the stories themselves like I could make up as many friends as I wanted and my family could be whoever I wanted them to be and I could be whoever I wanted to be um, which was always very nice. And so I tend to interject myself onto at least one character in a book because I'm a bit selfish like that. And I'm like, oh, look how fun their life is. Oh, it's your book. you got to. <laughs> <laughs> um, and do you have any other sort of creative outlets or did you find writing was the, the most? Yeah, I tend to throw my all into things. Um, and so yeah, writing sort of takes up a lot of my creativity to the point where I wish I could paint and I wish I could draw, but I, I just can't do it. <laughs> That's fair. I think writing is such a great skill and you hear more about these people who are doing mindfulness and creative journaling and stuff like that. And I think it is it is right. It is a way of just emotional dumping, <laughs> you know, in a healthy way. On the page and it turns into something beautiful, which is very nice. It's very satisfying to see at the end when you finish writing and you look on it and it's like, oh, wow, like even my messy thoughts can turn into something really beautiful. So it's, it's such a great way of seeing it. And now you're, you've already published your second book. What was the inspiration behind that one? It was a story I wrote when I was actually really young. Oh, okay, uh, yeah. And, of course, you know, it's been through a million versions since and I've rewritten it a hundred times probably. But um, I remember even when things weren't 100% great between my mum and I, like she would sit down every time I asked her to to read the next chapter that I'd written in that story. Um, And so I'm very attached to that story um, because I feel like it was a very nice bonding experience for my mother and I back then. And now... um, our relationship is like really solid and nice now. And so I feel like it was the perfect time to publish it because now, you know, we can both cherish the story together. Like she has a copy of it um, and she'll tell like anyone that will listen, like, oh, my daughter did this. Look at this. Uh, <laughs> very nice feeling. <laughs> just wearing a uh, this is my daughter T-shirt. <laughs> yeah, I feel like she just has copies of my book in her handbag so she can like throw them at people like confetti <laughs> she's holding up the uh, the queue in the grocery store just like us 100 <laughs> percent. but it must be so nice to have this this community growing not only with this one that you've built from scratch you know but now also this one that you're continuing to expand yeah no it's very exciting um whenever i find out that you know 
someone's read my book or um, heard my story in some way. Like I feel like I've made another friend, even if I don't know their name. It's just very exciting to think I've gone from feeling so lonely to feeling attached to complete strangers even. Um, it's, it's a very nice feeling. Do you think that it's really going towards people who need it? Someone like such as yourself a few years ago, do you think they're sort of getting what you got out of it? Oh, I definitely hope so. You know, I would love to think that the unexpected in particular helps people. Like, I really hope that people who are struggling, especially when you're a teenager, you go through so many different emotions and relationships. So I like to think that the unexpected helps people when they read it to, um, you know, feel related to and um, inspired that they can get out of a sticky situation if they need to. Um, and then Sahara, my latest book, because it's complete fiction, like it's completely made up, but I feel like it could definitely be an escape for people like reading books were for me, like they can just lose themselves in this desert world that I created with this really nice princess that they can, you know, feel attached to when yeah. I I wasn't expecting it to be fully fiction just based on the Forgotten Desert Princess. It uh it sounded quite reflective of of your situation. Yeah, no, it's yeah, it's completely just I pulled it out of thin air as a little kid and her love interest in the book I suppose is more grounded in reflective of struggles that, you know, um I guess I was feeling at the time like he comes from a very toxic, abusive family, his father drinks. And so I feel like if people were struggling with that sort of thing, they could relate to him. Um, And, you know, he ends up getting a princess, you know, not just a girl, but he gets a princess. So it's probably a nice way to think that, you know, even if you're stuck in a place, you can get nice things and you're worthy of nice things. Is that a message that you've carried like with yourself for all this time? Oh, 100%. Like I have no idea who said it, but I remember seeing a quote about how, you know, even beautiful flowers grow from dirt and, you know, the seeds are stuck in darkness at the start and, you know, they don't see any way out and then they just push themselves out of the dirt and become something beautiful. And I definitely relate to that nowadays. I'm like, you know, back then I... I felt like I belonged in the dirt, you know, Um, I felt buried and I felt like, okay, that's a place that I belong, you know, I feel dirty and gross and I, you know, people shouldn't look at me and now it's like I'm proud of the flower I became and I'm like, no, you know, pick me, pick me. (laughs) That's that's so incredible. I I think we're about to go into our Young Achievers programs uh, in the, oh, actually at the end of this month. How do you how do you feel about seeing sort of these younger generation, these kids going through all of that they're going through, you know, and but they're still able to excel? How how do you feel about all that? Oh, I absolutely love it. Like, of course, I don't love the fact that people are going through things. You know, in an ideal world, nothing bad would ever happen. Um, although that would be awfully boring. I feel. But I absolutely, it's so exciting to see, like, these strong young people just flourish anyway, like, regardless, um, and even just turn the world around them slightly better. Um, I absolutely love it. Like, whenever the award season comes around, I'm always, like, you know, looking at the roster of, like, oh, look at the nominees and look at all the incredible things they've done. Like, some of them just blow my mind. 
Uh, all of them blow my mind I'm just like wow like how can you do such a thing and it's just it's incredible and inspiring you're one of them (laughs) my mind like I you know it's to think that I've been on the same stage that all of those people are going to be on when they accept their awards and things is just very uh unthinkable almost like um but I'm very proud to have stood on there um and I guess it sort of opens my eyes of oh you know I did all right <laughs> more than all right I'd say I feel I feel proud on behalf of just our team being able to to know you and to watch your progress over the last couple of years it's been it's been a wonderful journey just to watch let alone actually experience you said you did a lot of volunteering do you still volunteer much uh, not as much as I would like because the main reason is just the town I live in now is a lot smaller Right. Okay. Um, I spent a lot of my journey in Ballarat and then in Melbourne, um, where now I'm back where it all began in Stall. And so there's a lot less opportunities to, um, you know, officially help out. Like, you know, I still donate to a lot of charities, like at the supermarket. And I do like um, share the dignity where they collect period products and hygiene products for struggling women I do that every year at Christmas I like build up hampers to ship out to them Hmm. Um, and we've got an animal charity like born and bred install called adoptables um, which is a great charity that helps um, stray animals and rescue animals from the pound and everything so I like to help them out whenever I can but now also, you know, I feel like a grown-up now because I have a job that I have to attend. And, um, That'll so do it. <laughs> I don't have as much time as I would like to devote to charity, um, but I still definitely try whenever I can. And if I had my licence, I would probably still be working for some of the charities in Ballarat. I did actually stay with Survivors of Suicide, which is a Ballarat group, for I think the first year after moving back. Like I'd make my way up there via public transport um, and stay at my coordinator's house, like crash on her couch while I was there just so I could still help because not only was it a good cause, but I think at that stage it was a scary new chapter for me and I was latching on to the familiarity of, you know, this is what got me this far and I guess I was scared to let go of that tether um, in case I'd backslide. Um, So it took a while for me to get to the point where I was like, okay, I have to close that chapter of my life um, and say a sad goodbye to a lot of the charities that helped me out um, in order to move forward and have an opportunity to start new, fresh, exciting things and help out new charities that might pop up here and there. Um, So, yeah. I I think that's really sensible. I think a lot of people try to just block out or cut ends with you know their past or whatever's gone wrong for them but to be able to look back and be so thankful you know that you went through that to get to where you are it's it's a really great place to to be and a great perspective to have absolutely yeah I think I often surprise people because they're like oh if you could go back in time like you know we bet you would have cut that friendship sooner or you know we bet you wouldn't have dropped out of college and I 100% would have done everything exactly the same Mm -hmm. um because yes it was tough sometimes and yes I couldn't see a way out a lot of the time but that's my story you know um the universe wanted that to be my story and so now I feel like you know what better editor than the universe.
<laughs> the way I have to tell it, then so be it. And at the end of the day, it was a tragedy sometimes and it was tough, but I like to think it was a beautiful story and it will hopefully have a happy ending. Absolutely. I, uh, I'm a firm believer in everything literally always works out because it just does, you know. Supposed to be. Yeah. You know, it might not be the way you thought, but look at everything else, you know. That's just accepting it and going along with the ride is part of it, isn't it? Exactly. There was something else that I wanted to ask. So you said you've got a full-time job now and it looks like you're in a stable environment now. Yeah, when I first moved back into town, it was still very much um, I was sleeping in my youngest sister's bed while the poor thing slept on the floor. I feel like I should have been on the floor, but that was an argument I lost. (laughs) Um, And then I was staying on my nan's pull-out sofa bed for a while. Um, And then eventually my dad's friends had a spare room and so he organised for me to live there. And it was, you know... Originally supposed to just be a temporary thing until I got my feet on the ground. Um, But, yeah, I got my feet on the ground and wanted to stay regardless. Um, And so I get along really well with my housemates. And it's nice to have somewhere that I don't have to question all the time of, oh, you know, am I going to get kicked out? Or is my situation going to fall apart if the relationship falls apart? Because I feel like for a long time, my entire being sort of relied on the relationships that I had. It's like if we have a fight, then I could literally just be thrown out on the street and have to start from scratch. And so it's nice to be able to have that trust um, in people where it's like, okay, like I can feel comfortable and safe enough um, in another person and in a situation that, you know, I can call someplace home. Is uh, I imagine that was something that you've really had to work on and had to relearn those that ability to trust other people. It was a big adjustment for sure, um, especially because like with my family um, in the past, I pulled away like um, and I sort of like tossed that those relationships away, and then in other relationships, I was the one to be tossed away, and so it it was very hard to yeah get to that point where it's like no that's not how relationships work (laughs) and yeah you can actually yeah find stability because that was something I'd never known before and then when I did have it I didn't trust it um and so it wasn't until like I've been here five or six years now um and yeah the first three years I was still like walking on eggshells even though they kept on telling me like it's fine you know like make yourself at home and I was like what is that it's been so long since I've had a home how how does one act in a home um and so baby steps but I think I got there yeah that's it's incredible to restore yourself and you know accept that you're welcome you're (laughs) you're allowed to to be there I just want to know if you could go back to like a particularly dark time or like unpleasant time, is there a gift that you would give yourself? Honestly, just a big hug. I feel like I definitely would have needed a big hug Um, because, yeah, I just to know that there was someone there, like even if it was just for 45 seconds and a hug and even if I didn't know who this person was, um, you know, like if I 
just had had someone just be like, hey, you know, you don't have to do it by yourself. Like it would have meant the world to me, even if they were like, hey, I'm not here now, but someone will be down the road. It, it would have been something to aim for and it would have been a comforting thought to have. There was a bit of different, uh, a bit of a time difference between when you first won the, the Ballarat Youth Award and then to winning the Young Achiever um, Health Award. Was there anyone who came with you to to the awards? Yeah, um, it was actually my mum who oh. came to the ceremony when I won the um, Achiever Award, um, which was very exciting. It was very nice. Um, and we made a whole trip of it. Like we booked a nice place to stay and we had lovely dinner and got all dressed up together. And um, it was one of the first trips um, where it had just been the two of us. And so, it, yeah, it meant a lot to me to have her there by my side and um, to see her crying in the crowd and to realise, oh, my gosh, she's proud of me. Like, that's really cool. Um, so, yeah, that was a very special moment that we got to share share together oh that gave me goosebumps <laughs> for, for this second award were you able to really appreciate that yes you were meant to be there yes you were <laughs> ready to receive that award yes and no like I feel like I was better than the first time I feel like I was better at being like okay you know like this is something I have done rather than almost feeling like this is just like a you know, something that happened by accident or as a side effect of the things I did. Um, like I felt like at that stage I had earned it, but it's I still felt, felt very out of place looking around at all the other people there. Like I guess I had a bit of imposter syndrome where I was like, I don't feel like I should be here. Um, and then to, I guess, have people be like, no, you definitely do belong here because, like, this is your award now and you're up there having to make this speech. It was, yeah, it was in that moment when I was having to address an entire group of people that had all done amazing things themselves that made me realise, oh, you know, like, I have done some stuff, I've achieved some stuff and I want to continue doing that um, and not just as a distraction but as something with purpose you know it's no longer I feel me being selfishly selfless now, now I just I want to help people for the sake of helping people rather than just trying to forget my life because now I don't want to forget my life um I feel like my life's pretty okay that's that's so wonderful to hear and I just I feel like you wouldn't be the only one in your position who goes to these awards nights and just feels like fish out of water. Do you have any advice or tips for someone if they did find themselves in that position? Um, I think just, yeah, push those thoughts aside. Like, you know, just acknowledge the fact that you're there for a reason, even if you don't understand the reason, like you're there. Um, and to just enjoy it, you know, um, instead of worrying and thinking that you're not good enough to be there, just enjoy the fact that you're there. Um, but I really wish I could go to every award ceremony and just be in the corner and spot all those people that look like they feel out of place and be like, you did this. Like, this is our little table. We all belong here and let's just support one another. I really wish I could do that. <laughs> well, we'll carry you in, in spirit for sure. Yeah, I'm always there in spirit. I've got my pom-poms ready. I'm proud <laughs> of <everyone. laughs> 
Well, likewise, we're so excited. I can't wait to get my hands on Sahara and the Forgotten Desert Princess. Is it available in all stores now or...? Uh, yeah, it's available in most stores uh, across Australia, um, but it's primarily um, available on Amazon. Yep. Um, because they were, I published that one through the um, KBD program with, along with Amazon. Um, and through them, it's available all over the world, which is so incredibly exciting, um, but also scary, but very exciting, more exciting, I guess, to think that, you know, there's, um, someone in England and someone in France that, you know, might be reading my story at any given moment. Um, but both my stories are also available on ebook form. If people don't, um, you know, want to buy a physical form, they can, you know, buy it on ebook. And I'm hoping that, you know, in the future there'll be audiobooks as well so that people can listen to them while they're driving or whatever it is they're doing. Um, yeah. That's great. And have you got any others in the in the pipeworks at the moment that you're working on? Um, I've started and scrapped a lot of stories <laughs> for months. Uh, I even had a bit of a crisis where I was like, oh, my gosh, what if all of my creativity has been used up in those two books because <laughs> I was so much younger when I wrote both of them. Um, and so I'm like, oh, I'm a grown-up now. What if it's just all gone? Um, but I've recently been very ex- um, inspired to... I guess write my story, but in the it sounds really strange, but in the perspective of my cat, because my cat um, was born the first night I was in that caravan. She was born um, in the yard right next to it, and then we were both homeless together for a really long time. And on days where I felt like I was going to give up, I was like, I can't give up because there's this little fluffy individual that is dependent on me and so she helped me get through a lot um and I would really like the world to know how special she is um through potentially my next book um and it will be very nice to get our story because it ended up being both of our stories at the end because that poor thing was homeless alongside me for a very long time um I would buy her food with the you know small amount of money I had rather than myself and in turn like she was emotionally supporting me and helping me get through a lot of stuff Uh, oh my gosh i'm gonna have to talk to the team and see if we can get a special pet award because oh my god that is so sweet (laughs) and she would definitely deserve to win that one a (laughs) hundred percent No offense to the other animals out there but she'd give them a run for their money oh my gosh yeah yeah no she's got my vote Well, that was all the questions I had. I'm so excited to uh, get my hands on a copy of your book and and The Unexpected. I really want to give that one a read as well. And I'm looking forward to your new book about your cat. (laughs) I'll hold you to it. Did you have anything else that you wanted to tell our listeners? Uh, So many things, but I can't even pick them. (laughs) I just hope that I didn't bore anyone and I hope that even just one person can find something in that mess of a story um, and a mess of a journey to help them in some way. Um, That's all I could ever ask for. I think you've helped far more than just one person, Steffi. I definitely hope so. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. No worries. Thanks so much for having me on. Like, again, imposter syndrome. I'm like, oh. You know, it's crazy to think that people will be willing to listen to me for 
you know, more than a couple of minutes. <laughs> no, no, I was, I was wrapped and I legitimately did. I got goosebumps. I, um, I just, I think it's so incredible. Like I've only just sort of come in. So this is my first time running the, the programs. And so I haven't been on the other side of it yet where I get to actually talk with people who are really happy to have won and this is all they've accomplished. So it's been really, really nice. Um, yeah, no, I can imagine it's going to be incredible. All the things that you're going to hear and yeah, it's. Yeah, low key jealous. Like, <laughs> well, stories and yeah, talk about imposter syndrome. I'm here just listening to your incredible <laughs> story. Like, yeah, I I work in an office, <laughs> but no, it's wonderful. I'm really glad to uh, be a part of something that can really help people. And it sounds like you're helping people in in your own way. And I think it's just it's just wonderful. And you know, to just embrace that your story is your story and it's got you here today and thanking every version of you that got you to you today is a wonderful thing. Yeah, and I definitely went through a lot. A mm. lot of there's a lot of versions of Steph out there that um served their purpose and had their moment. Um, but there's a few that I'm very glad that I got rid of as well. So <laughs> <laughs> but they all worked together to build the person I am now, so I'm very grateful for that at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's really wonderful, and I'm so glad that um, you're in a in a stable environment now, and you're feeling safe and, and secure, and that's that's wonderful. And I hope you continue to be creative and to inspire other Australians. Well, I don't. I didn't even realize I was doing that in the first place, so I don't think I can stop. I think it's just <laughs> the part I am now. <laughs> it's just your superpower, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> very happy to have. Very proud of that. <laughs> Thank you so much for talking with me today. Thanks for joining us today on the Inspirational Australians podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening and have been inspired by ordinary Australians achieving extraordinary things. So it's goodbye for another week. Remember, together we make a difference. <laughs>